0: Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are in week three of this eight-week sermon series that we've called Hard Questions for Jesus. And this is a sermon series that the congregation has helped to develop by submitting hard questions for Jesus. And I'm doing my best in these sermons to give Foundational, faithful responses to help us think through these issues and uh, be able to respond and live according to God's Word. This week's question is, is this one What should we do about this thing called sin? Now, the reason for this question today is I received uh, numerous questions from the church that had uh, differing, or different things uh, having to do with sin. So some people were asking about, you know, specific details about specific behaviors and whether or not these things are or are not sins and how we should respond to them. Uh, Some other people were wondering about how to uh, deal with their loved ones who are struggling with sin and how to be firm and speak truth to them but also be loving and just, man, those are real practical and so we're going to get to uh, a variety of that uh, information and and I I believe today's will kind of just give us a foundational understanding of what is sin and how it affects us individually and what we should do about it individually and as a church and then next week we'll deal more with how do we um, approach the issues in this world in particular uh, with our loved ones and friends as they're uh, wrestling through these things how do we speak the truth in love that'll be our question next week. But I want to begin my answer to this question today, what should we do about this thing called sin by asking you a question in response. How many of you are sinners? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. Good. That's a I'm glad you raised your hands, all right? But how do you know this? How do you know you're a sinner? Uh, on, on what are you basing that? On your own idea of what sin is? <laughs> or on what God's idea of sin is? I wonder if I were to ask you, how do you define sin? I wonder what kinds of responses we would get. Let me give you kind of the standard uh, orthodox Christian definition of sin. It is this. Sin is, in essence, the failure or refusal of human beings to live the life intended for them by God, their creator. So it really begins with understanding who God is as creator and what kind of life he designed for us to live. So if you're struggling to let God be creator, to believe that he is, you will have A different understanding or at least struggle to have a faithful understanding of what sin is. But when you understand that God is perfect creator and how he creates, it'll make perfect sense. So let me begin here again. This summer we did a sermon series through the beginning of the book of Genesis, but right now I have to go back to the beginning again. So how does the beginning of your Bible begin? In the beginning God created. That's how the Bible begins. And in those six days of creation, God looked at his creation and each day he said, my creation is good, right? Night and day, good. Land, water, good. Good. It's good. And on the sixth day after creating humans, he looked over everything he had created and he said, it is very good. That's even in the Hebrew Bible. It distinguishes between good and very good. But in the hebrew language that word good doesn't just mean wow i like this this is nice the hebrew word for good actually means whole complete nothing lacking everything is as it should be and therefore in the very beginning the creation simply did what the creation should do the humans were content just being humans And not having to know everything. And God was there. And no one doubted. There was no shame. Because there was no sin. Everything was as it should be. When Adam and Eve fell into sin in Genesis chapter 3, it began with a doubt. A doubting of God's word the sneaky serpent came to them and forced them to answer the question, did God really say? Okay? So Adam and Eve were commanded by God to do what they were supposed to do, not eat from the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden of knowledge of good and evil. And, and God said, because if you do, you will die. And so the serpent said to them, did God really say that? Isn't that a sneaky question? Did God really say? Isn't that where it all begins with us as well? Isn't this the question that you have pondered in those moments of your own temptation and brokenness and weakness when you, in your own mind, have tried to rationalize the sinful behavior that you know in your core that you should not do? Don't you, if you are paying attention, if you're paying attention to God's word, that word in your mind says, did God really say? <laughs> God's word is saying, don't do it. But Satan is saying, did God really say? And then you start to say, oh, I don't know, maybe he didn't. Maybe, maybe I'm going to think about this a little bit differently. Did God really say? That's a sneaky question. But thinking about the garden in the very beginning is very helpful for us to understand what sin is because in the beginning, in the garden, we can see what perfection looked like. Yeah? Just in the very beginning, you can see what, how God intended things to be, what goodness looked like, what perfection looked like, what life without shame or doubts looked like. And so understanding the garden is helpful for us in understanding sin. Now this is also why we read the Ten Commandments today. The Ten Commandments were given to Moses a long time after Adam and Eve as Moses was preparing to lead God's people into the promised land. Maybe you know this, but they had to spend 40 years in the desert in a time of preparation because God knew that when they entered the promised land, they would be faced with all kinds of temptations to worship other gods, to fall into things that they should not do or say. And so God was forming them and shaping them to be a certain way and think a certain way. And so what the Ten Commandments actually do, if you think about it, the Ten Commandments paint a picture of perfection. Okay? Just think about it. The Ten Commandments, if you're to look at them on your own, if every single person in the world, perfectly kept all the Ten Commandments, do you know where we would be? In the garden, in perfection. That is what the Ten Commandments are supposed to do. They shape us and and say, wow, this is what perfection actually would look like. Now even think about it. What if everybody in the world just simply even tried (laughs) to keep the Ten Commandments? commandments. Do you know how much better off this world would be? Now thinking about these ten commandments, maybe you know them by heart. Maybe the reading from Exodus today was the first time you've ever seen these words. That's very possible. But how are we doing? Let's check in for a minute. How are we doing at keeping the ten commandments? The first, you shall have no other gods before me. You already did. So did I. You've already set yourself up for failure in this one because your worry about money is consuming you. Your calendar is determining your purpose and you have set yourself up as your own favorite idol in this world. The second, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Not only have you cursed and swore by the name of God Almighty, but you have neglected to call out to him in prayer and praise and in your times of trouble. The third, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Good, you're in church today. That's an awesome start. But what about on a daily basis? So many of you are running so hard that you have no time to rest. Maybe you're not even feeling hungry for the Word of God because you have filled yourself up with the world's junk food and the Bible is just a dusty fixture on your shelf. The fourth, honor your father and your mother. Not only have you rebelled against your own parents, those of you who have parents still alive, but those of you who are parents probably have not demonstrated the love and grace of your father to your own children. The fifth, you shall not murder. I would say most of you here probably would would have not taken someone's life, but likely you haven't protected your neighbor's lives and their bodies. You have not done what you should to support your neighbor in need you stood silently by as the lives of innocent children are taken through abortion, yet on the opposite side of things or in another world, you stood silently by as many children's lives go in and out of foster care or hung up in the adoption system, and you could have opened your home to be a parental figure to those in need. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. You could say that sexual sins are the pervasive sins in America, but it's not just our fault. From the very beginning in the book of Genesis, the perversion of what God intended in the marriage marriage relationship has been messed up from the very beginning and all throughout the Bible. We read even Jesus' words about it today. If we're living for the garden, we see that there really is no room uh, in this world in human sexuality other than what God has intended and designed in the garden. The seventh, you shall not steal. Did you cheat on your taxes? Cheat on your test? Did you remember to help and support and protect your neighbor's possessions? Possessions? You shall not lie. Yes, you have. You're caught up in it all the time. You speak poorly about your neighbors around the water cooler. Oftentimes you can't keep your mouth shut and you gossip about others instead of dealing with the issues directly. You shall not covet your neighbor's possessions. How many possessions are there that you look at with lustful intent? What boat or side-by-side or sporting equipment or clothing or, or, or are you desiring after? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or family or any of his possessions or people, but you oftentimes wish that what you had was not yours and what other people have was yours. You think the grass is greener on the other side and you spend your time dreaming, thinking that it would be much better to be somewhere else than boldly loving the people where you are. I feel like I need to sit down. Did anybody escape any of that? I didn't. (laughs) I am a poor, miserable sinner. (laughs) Poor, miserable sinner. I think you are too, and you know it. So, what should we do about this thing called sin? Two things I want you to hear today. One, confess it. Two, flee from it. One, confess it. Two, flee from it. We read today in 1 John chapter 1, these words. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Read that with me. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay, let's we'll just stop there. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just, He'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. See, when we come into God's house, if if we say, Hi, I had a pretty good week today. We're basically saying to Jesus, I don't need you, Jesus. And we're lying to ourselves. But if we come begging and pleading for mercy, saying, Lord, everything about me is broken and poor and miserable. Forgive me. He will. He will forgive you. He will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You cannot deceive God, for He already knows. He already knows. But when you confess your sins to God, He is faithful to you. Faithful to you, broken sinner. God Almighty is faithful to you and faithful to His promise to you that He will love you and forgive you all of your sins now and forever see we can be forgiven and cleansed from unrighteousness and Jesus is the only one who can do this for us because he is the only one who never committed a sin we did not read this passage today but i want to read it for you today first peter chapter 1 verse 22 says this he jesus committed no sin no sin Neither was deceit found in his mouth, but he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. Did you see this? I've just spent a, time, a long time going through those Ten Commandments, really kind of a, giving us a check of the heart, saying, wow, I can't escape this sinful thing. And yet, Jesus is the one who kept all of that perfectly for you. And he did that in order that every single one of those things that afflict you and that you do wrong, he bore them on his own body, on the tree. And when he spread his arms open wide and was giving up his breath, he spoke. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. For you for you how many sins can jesus forgive all of them all of them every single sin that you have done wrong everything that you have left undone every one is forgiven by the blood of jesus christ the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world you are forgiven you are You are forgiven, and then you're set free in order to flee, (laughs) to flee from your sin. What does this say? Jesus did this for us for what purpose? So that we can die to sin and live in righteousness, or as we say here in our church, to die to sin or to live in Christ. We're alive in Christ. And so what we are to do, and the Apostle Paul says it over and over again, is to flee from sin, to flee from it, to run away from it, and to run to God. And and when it tries to sneak up on us, we say, no, 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 no. I don't want what you have to offer. I want what Jesus has to offer. Obviously, the question then comes in, we are going to fall. I'm going to fall. Will Jesus forgive us when we fall? Absolutely. But should we desire to fall? By no means. We should run to Christ and flee from sin. If you have spent any length of time in a Christian church, I would imagine that what I just preached to you is not new news. I would imagine you've heard these things before. And those of you who come to this church, we weekly and and encourage you daily to live lives of confession and new life. So I may not have proclaimed anything new to you, but I pray that as you leave here today, you would leave in a humble state, not desiring the sin that tries to afflict you, but desiring what Jesus has to offer. And a lot of this then shapes the way that we deal with this world. Because when we go into this world, by our own contributions to the brokenness, but also just because of what it is. When we step into this world as Christian people, sometimes uh, you know we feel distraught or lost or maybe even angry at the way things are. And so if you're feeling that way when you go into this world and you go, why is it so broken and, and destitute? Why are people doing what they're doing? Do what we just did today. First look in the mirror, <laughs> confess your own sins. Receive the forgiveness that Jesus has given to you. And then when you do, when you step into this world, I pray that you will not feel distraught or lost or angry, but that your heart would be moved with compassion. Because compassion leads to action. And when you are moved with compassion, you will be moved to action. And what action is most necessary is to bring Jesus into this world to shine the light of Jesus into this world, to go to those who are lost and hurting and maybe don't even know about the light of Jesus and to be the light in the world. We're going to spend all of next week talking more about that, though, as we deal with the question, how do we speak the truth in love? How do we live boldly in the name of Jesus in this world, Uh, and especially when people don't want to hear it? So I pray you come back as we kind of continue this conversation next week. Go. You are forgiven and set free. Flee from your sin. Flee to Jesus in his name. Amen.